0: I think ultimately you have to decide who is your most core profitable audience to follow and then just take the others with a pinch of salt. If you shy away from speaking to customers, this is not the profession for you.
1: Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. There are many paths a marketing career can take. And what I've learned from speaking with marketers through this podcast is that no two people's path ever look the same. But we're not the only ones who have a say in where the path goes. Depending on the size, industry, and structure, the companies we choose to work for will also heavily dictate what we're spending our time doing and in turn, what our resumes look like. My guest today is going to help us to understand the career challenges that marketers face and how to be prepared to face them. She's the marketing lead at CareerCake, Cake, a video platform that gives employees the confidence to rise to, take on, and beat the challenges they'll face in the first decade of their career. Join me live today, I've got Lucy Haskins. Thanks a lot for jumping on, Lucy.
0: Hey, Stuart. Well,
1: I'm really glad we get to have this conversation because I think, and it's something that I've repeated multiple times on the show, is that I'm always just so interested in the backgrounds that marketing people have? Because oftentimes, you did not go to school for it. You did not have any interest early in career. Like It's a very diverse background that I'm finding marketing marketers having. Is that is that a similar experience to what you've noticed?
0: 100%. I, I initially applied to university to do secondary school teaching. And a week before, I came to the conclusion that I didn't really like children. So I dropped out Took a gap here, decided what to do with my life, and I studied media studies and journalism at the University of Portsmouth. And um, it wasn't until I, well, I graduated, thought brilliant. I'm going to be guaranteed a job. This will be amazing. Obviously, realised the reality um, is very, very different when you don't have work experience. So, uh, got my first job in uh, marketing. As a as a copywriter, and from there realized actually marketing is where my heart is, and ended up studying in the evenings and at weekends to get my marketing qualifications that way. So that's kind of how I fell into marketing.
1: Even within the profession, like you mentioned, copywriting—that's a totally unique niche within a kind of very broad category of job. And I'm only realizing that kind of early in my career that you can actually specialize really really down to the point of what you want to be doing. But that's very hard to do if you don't know kind of the extent of what marketing could be. And so there's kind of this, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but when you want to start to go work at a startup, you assume that you're going to be doing kind of everything that a marketer would ever want. You're going to get to do SEO, you're going to get to do ads, you're going to get to do creative stuff. But that actually isn't always the case. Because startups are different.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think the best way to start this is if you're going to be a marketer joining a startup, it will be very unlike any marketing role that you will hold. So if you've come from an SME or an SMB background or corporate background. And the reason why I say that is from day one, the best approach to do, uh, the best approach to follow is forget everything you have ever known about marketing. The environment can be very chaotic. The the relationship you have with your founder can be quite complex as well. But ultimately, a startup goes through a set of four stages. And I think it was Blank and Dorf, possibly, who say that there's a customer, customer discovery stage, customer validation, customer creation, and the company building stage. So ultimately... The stage that you enter that startup as a marketer will determine the role that you will, the kind of activities that you'll get involved with. So, for example, I worked at a recruitment tech firm about 10 years ago and I came in at the customer creation stage. So there was a marketing director in place. He had put the sales channels in. They built up the kind of customer demand. And I was there to slot in from an SEO and PPC point of view. They said, this is the way that we get um, our customers. We've tested it. Take this idea and run with it. So that was very clear to me. With Cape the um, startup that I work in at the moment, I joined them at the customer discovery stage. And that is a very scary stage to enter when you're a new marketer because ultimately you are going in, you are building a rapport with the founder or the co-founders, and it is your job to take that idea from them and validate whether it's worth pursuing. So you take the idea, you um, run customer interviews, um, surveys, focus groups. Ultimately, you're trying to validate just early on whether there's a potential that this could be um a product or a service that you could sell and as you can imagine if you're trying to validate a founder's idea and founders are interesting characters to say the least that's definitely going to test a certain um set of skills that you've got as a as a marketer
1: but i think it's also interesting to to think that even though they might not have a product to sell you're still trying to understand the problems of the customer it still feels very much like a marketing job you, or or it should be fulfilled by a person who has a marketing mindset because you're trying to ask them questions and listen to the the nuances of their answers and identify the the boundaries and the bumpers kind of of what that person is even looking for and then cross compare it to the founder's vision
0: Yes, yeah, 100%. You do need that strong foundation in marketing basics. So the psychology of customers understanding um, what their motivation is to buy. So you can then kind of prove those tests. But I think in my role at the moment, I mentor new marketers kind of rising through the ranks. And it was funny, I had a call with one about a month ago who was proud that she'd never spoken to a customer in her life and I kind of sat there scratching my head thinking well if you are going to make it in marketing it's kind of rule 101 speak to your customers understand what motivates them use frameworks like the jobs to be done tools to kind of understand what it is you are selling so you can ultimately connect that that value proposition. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You, as a marketer, you have a, a range of tools in your arsenal. And speaking to customers is always going to be the most important one. And you are going to use that to varying um, extents at whatever stage that startup is
1: is currently at. What are some questions that a person who's interviewing at a startup can ask in that process to, under- to get an understanding where that company is In those four those four categories that make up startups, because I think it's easy to kind of look at them, and if they have a nice website or if they've raised some money, you're kind of like, oh, they're they're doing okay. I'm going to be doing I'll be a marketer, like I'll get to do the thing I want to be doing. Especially if you if you're joining with the kind of vision that like I want to own SEO or I want to own paid, and then you show up and they haven't even figured out how to how to standardize their sales process, that becomes tricky.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there are a couple of themes of questions that you need to ask. So the first is to determine what stage that startup is at. And typically the kind of questions I would ask are the number of um, customers that um, somebody's got, the number of customers or whether um, they've just started the customer, customer research process. Have they got a MVP? who is on their board, who who are their board advisors helping guide that CEO, the founder, to the next stage there of growing that startup. And that would give me an idea of roughly where they are. You don't need hundreds of customers, but it's just to understand whether there is an idea that's worth pursuing and poss- possible to monetize. I think Another theme of questioning that you should go down is to understand the environment you're about to go into. And that's ultimately, who is this founder? What characteristics, what attributes do they have? Are they going to be able to create the environment that is right for you going in as the marketer? I've read in a few books, one of which um, Ran Fishkin in Lost and Founder talks about how a startup's culture is the embodiment of the founder. So if the founder is chaotic, if they are structured, if they are a CTO versus I'd know a sales-led founder, that ultimately will determine the culture and the environment you're gonna go into. So in terms of questioning, I think it's worth speaking to the founder to understand what's a typical working day look like? What's their approach to answering emails in the evenings? How closely do they follow the brand and the values that they believe in? Why are they doing? Are they able to verbalise the story and tell you why they think that this there is this problem that is worth solving? And also, to what extent do they get marketing? I think that is a big, big area. I hear, and I've experienced it myself, where I'll join a startup and you find yourself having to educate people on what marketing is. They don't realise it's everything from value proposition, pricing, tone of voice, customer attention, customer experience. There are some people that think that it's all newsletters and fluffy pictures. There are others saying, well, why why can't we get an immediate return? So it is, the best way is to kind of just ask the CEO, the founder, or whoever's interviewing just how they understand marketing to be and what – they want from you what is what are the milestones that they want you to hit just to work out does that align with what how or how you see yourself
1: fitting within the startup as well it was that's so funny that you mentioned rand Fiskin, because i literally listened to an episode with him a podcast episode with him this afternoon and he was kind of talking about with his because he had success with a previous company built a lot on the premise of blogging because they he was selling a SEO tool, right? And so he had an insight that he knew that blogging was powerful and it makes sense for an SEO company to have a very good blog, right? Mm-hmm. Now with his new and then he built like a a big following from that, inevitably kind of has followers and and people who who see him as like someone who knows what he's doing, right? And so now he's starting his second company and He knows now that the blogging space is probably a little busier than it was 15 years ago when he started his first company, and he's starting in a product category that doesn't necessarily have that word to describe it. And most startups don't, right? You're kind of pursuing a a market opportunity, and it might not be defined that it's called customer satisfaction software tools or whatever category you're kind of creating and so he realized too it's was like well maybe then blogging isn't the right platform for me but he's got that long-term marketing mindset that he knows that there's value in doing i think he right now and it, because they just launched but he's like I'm doing two was he was it two or three podcast guest appearances a week and taking conferences when those are available and doing webinars because he sees the long-term value in having content out there and he's not so worried about the attribution. So that's kind of another weird mindset you need to have is you need to align with your founder on like, are they comfortable with someone signing up for a demo, but they're not being a solid attribution? What channel that came from?
0: Yeah, no, no, it's interesting um, because... I've, I think I've read Rand's book several times. It's interesting how a few lessons that he learned are reflective of where we are in Career Cake as well. So, it's how do you create your own category? At the start, we thought we were creating our own category because we were creating video content for a very niche audience. Then we realized that actually we sit under the e learning umbrella. We started selling to people expecting us to be an e-learning provider and rightfully so. They were saying, well, you're missing feature one, two and three. So we had to go back to the drawing board and we realised that actually we were operating with an existing market. We just needed to focus on a niche. We needed to do one thing really well. And I think with Ran Fishkin's previous company, he talks very openly about wanting to be known as a, a marketing solution. but actually. SEO was where they were doing really, really well. So that's where he focused. But absolutely, he gets the whole idea of this umbrella term. And uh, yeah, you can see how just things like podcasts and different types of partnership where marketing are working just because there are some tools, some channels that are just really saturated at the moment.
1: Hey, as a marketer, at, as, as the first marketer at a startup company, you inevitably have your fingerprints on the DNA of it. you you get to be part of those conversations where you say to your founder, look, I had a conversation, I had a really rough conversation today with someone we thought we were serving and they have zero interest in paying for what we're offering. Do you have any advice on the subtleties and then, and the kind of nuanced way of having those really hard conversations where you just need to communicate on behalf of the customer to, to a founder?
0: Yeah, I think I'm lucky in the sense that the founder that I work with, Amy, she's very open. She actually created Career Cake off the back of the last recession and it was a YouTube channel. And so what the story is, she was a traditional recruiter. And unfortunately, everybody knows the recruiter works for the company, not the candidate. The recession hit and she was making videos for the candidates that were coming into the recruitment agencies and she was there saying, I can't help you at the moment, but check out my YouTube channel and there'll be some answers there. So the reason why Cake stands today is because she had so much feedback and so many viewers that she hit something like 12 million views for her videos within three years because she managed to hit that niche. What she always said to me was the fact that she was able to get this virality behind Cake because she responded to the feedback that was coming through. Viewers on YouTube are very vocal. And obviously you've got to prioritise who you listen to as well. But they were very important in helping determine the aesthetics of how the videos were shot, um, who delivered them, what the topics were. And I think ultimately you have to decide who is your most core profitable audience to follow and then just take the others with a pinch of salt because startups we don't necessarily have business plans or three-year plans or extensive roadmaps and there's always going to be a list of features that everybody wants to include but it's just understanding what's most important and sometimes it can be and I think if I was in the situation I would be as well it's easy to take things personally because if you're a founder you are the face of a brand and equally if somebody doesn't necessarily say that they got value from career cake or something we don't take that as a kind of a personal um, attack or a criticism it's a okay we've missed something what do we need to do now to make sure that we are delivering the most awesome experience and then that person can kind of hit our platform, watch the content and feel good about themselves in their career.
1: You mentioned having that YouTube channel obviously made a huge amount of inbound. It uh, was very helpful to getting things off the ground. Would you recommend that some type of content stream be a good idea for even in the customer discovery or customer validation part of a company? Is that something that you think is necessary in order to generate those early, early adopters?
0: Yeah, I think from our perspective, it it was because YouTube acts as a search engine itself. So with us being able to kind of create these videos, we can test them, we can monetize them, see what feedback is coming through. And right at the start, we thought, okay, we'll, we'll put tasters of all of our content on YouTube. But what we found is that there is a mindset within our industry that if something is on YouTube and it's free, it's of poorer quality, which is, isn't is the case, but that's that's what we found. And what we found is when we were relying on YouTube too heavily, it was harder to show people to come back to our platform and sign up and, and go through the whole subscription process. So we're very careful in how we use YouTube. YouTube to kind of highlight the quality of our content but also it acts as kind of like little snippets to draw people back it's obviously really easy to share and YouTube has been important because ultimately we're a, a video product and we need to rely on the, the thing that we're, that we're best at to share
1: right I guess in that case your company's product is content and so having a taste of what that content can be is is mm-hmm. actually very helpful because that's kind of like a free demo.
0: Yeah, I think it's some of the content that we'll put in is from a uh, it's user lead gen perspective. So we might have interviews with experts on topics that are of interest to our community, but we're not sure whether we should actually productize them and actually film them. So we've got a studio here. So we'll use that to test the reaction. We'll also use it to test the um, expert who we're interviewing as well to see how they bounce off of my my founder as well. So it's also a customer research and a product testing tool for us as well, to be fair.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the secret that not a whole lot of people, not that many people are talking about. There's an advantage in creating collaborative content as opposed to head down, type out 1500 word blog post about my opinion on the world and put that out as opposed to interview based one or a conversational based one or or at least to open up those channels for people to respond to it. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge missed opportunity if you just don't allow people to comment and you leave it behind paywalls or, or or forms or anything like that, is it's it's not a conversation and especially if you're an early stage company, you want to have that feedback because that content in the grand scheme of things costs nearly nothing to create. It's helping you flesh out your ideas, especially if you're in those discovery or validation phases and you're building a lead gen tool
0: yeah yeah 100% it's it's not until i actually say it out loud speaking to you that i realized just in how many instances we use youtube to kind of help us speak to our customers test ideas and ultimately it is it's opening the gates for this is what our product product is
1: great i think that's a that's a that's something i've heard before is a lot of companies now are being built on the fact that they have an audience and then they ask the audience what product they would like. And then they sell them that.
0: Yes. Yes. Our, our community. So we have about 15,000 viewers a month at the moment and our community are very, we find them very vocal. So we cater to kind of two different sets of people, those people who are in the employment market and they're looking to get into the workplace. And also those people, once they're in a job, how to how to thrive. And the people that are currently job hunting are the more vocal um, they're more open to feedback. The um speed of which the feedback comes back is really quick as well. And when you think about it, is their need for our product, there's there's a level of urgency. And um, there was an analogy I heard recently whether your if is your product a painkiller or a vitamin, is it something that you need to you need to solve that problem or are you looking to protect yourself long term? And one aspect of Career Cake is is the painkiller and one aspect is the is this vitamin so um it's the the people that use the kind of painkiller product the how to get into a job they're the people that um are regularly <laughs> regularly getting in contact with us and we're really lucky to have them
1: that's very interesting i, I have heard that the concept of a pa- of a painkiller or a vitamin but I never thought that you could actually be both and they actually feed nicely into each other. You want to solve the low hanging fruit first, get that person to a place where they then are looking to be proactive in, in what else you can help them solve.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think from our, from our point of view, it's, If you look at the kind of tenure of an employee, you're only going to be looking, hopefully you're only going to be looking for a new job, say every four to five years, depending on whether you're a millennial or whatever tag people want to use. But the idea is that for our product to have longevity, it's about supporting employees when they're in those jobs. So we've got a product that helps them potentially for three to four months. That's getting into the um, getting the job and then we've got the product that kind of supports them for the next two to three four years or so so that's our long-term strategy and that's how the kind of painkiller product kind of pushes it and kind of helps us expand it into the b2b market so it's the b2b market now that we sell to more than the b2c funnily enough
1: very interesting i like that a lot let's talk a bit about what the the current I guess it's it's very hard to to call it just the current job market for marketers, but f- you're dealing with people who are coming to you asking about how do I get a job, how do I get to that next level. Speaking about marketing specifically, what are some kind of c- characteristics that you notice uh, employers are looking for? Maybe one of the first hires that are strictly marketing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. The very first or the most important attribute is a willingness to talk to customers. And it's funny because I've been asked this question before. What's the one piece of advice or one thing that you think that all marketers should do? And you hear people talk about the ability to adopt technology or learn coding skills, which I do feel are all valuable. But I think that if you shy away from speaking to customers, this is not the profession for you. I mentioned earlier, it doesn't matter what stage the startup is, you are going to be speaking to customers. And you need to be happy with speaking to 15, 20, 30 of them. You need to be happy with learning frameworks on how to kind of tease out those insights. So I mentioned the jobs to be done framework. I think one of the biggest mistakes that you can do is be handed a buyer persona document that... Your founder or your CEO has kind of written off on the back of a notepad, and you've got Mary, who's twenty nine, that likes going running, or you've got Frank who likes trapezing. I don't know. There's nothing about that breakdown that tells you what is going to motivate that person to buy and why they're going to motiv- why they're motivated to buy you over the competition. So it's having that inquisitive mind, and um, and ultimately, it's to do with communication,
1: in my opinion. Do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask customers to find out what their motivations are?
0: Oh, okay. I think when speaking to CareerCate, to create Career prospects, I always like asking, what challenge do you envisage CareerCate helping you to solve? And I think that helps me have a good indication of whether our positioning is working or not. I also like asking our B2C users, what's your biggest career challenge at the moment? Brackets, feel free to rant. So by putting things in like that, and I completely nixed that from Louis from Everyone Hates Marketers, by the way, but it works so well. By using language like that, all of a sudden you get really passionate people providing you with insight, but also so much copy for your landing pages and your sales collateral that, yeah, it's, yeah, those are kind of my two go-to.
1: I've also heard someone before say that by giving those open-ended questions and encouraging long answers, we talked about this earlier in the conversation that you need to identify the noise from the actual early adopters who want to be helping you, right? Mm -hmm. And they've said that they actually would wait those responses much higher based on the length of like number of words that person gave, gave back. Because Mm -hmm. if that person took seven minutes to write 300 words, that person cares a lot more than the person who said, yeah, this, like the videos could be shorter, (laughs) right? That's not helpful feedback. You're actually looking for the feedback. So to weight those individuals based on how long their answers are was another kind of way to 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 tack on a waiting program to figure out who your key audience is
0: yeah no no i think i think that's so clever because i think if you think about that kind of keyboard warrior that's taking the time to really go into depths like you say they're an early adopter they're an ambassador they chances are they probably have had this issue and they've tried to solve it themselves so they feel kind of quite ingrained with the service whereas I've been there before where people have asked me to fill in customer feedback surveys and I I want to help a marketer out but I will literally just fill something out really quickly and it's you may as well just disregard my answer because <laughs> I'm doing this out of I'm trying to I'm trying to be nice to you it's like when your mum you ask your mum whether this is a good idea brilliant love you probably shouldn't listen to your mum either as well so um yeah no absolutely wait the answers
1: <laughs> Oh, awesome, Lucy! A couple more questions for you before we wrap up. What are some marketing trends that you're really excited about that you're going to be paying attention to over the next six months?
0: Oh, okay. I'm a member of. Don't know if you've heard of Forget the Funnel.
1: Bit before, yeah. Do you mind? Yeah. Do you mind explaining what that is?
0: Yeah. So what it is, is it's a community for SaaS marketers and it's run by um, Claire and Gia. And what they do is they run a series of webinars, but they've also got uh, mentor, mentoring programs. And the idea is that they support early stage marketers who are looking to make it in, in, in the world of SaaS. Now they've just launched a new program and it's something that as soon as I saw the concept, it's like, oh my goodness, this is what I need. And it's called customer-led growth. And the idea is that rather than it being marketing's job to push acquisition, customer attention, anything to do with the customer experience, the idea is that you work with every single department by getting them involved in every stage of the um, customer life cycle. So then that will allow you to change the milestones or the kpis that you're working towards it stops people from working in silos but it also allows you to kind of assess business critical opportunities so as a marketer we have 101 things to do things that we really know that we should do and our inbox is always really full of requests from so many different departments. And it's a, it's a, it's proving a really interesting way to kind of create alignment as a marketer with multiple functions. I think that's really important when you are going into a business and it scales, just because it's so hard to speak to different departments. So that definitely is something that I'm keeping my eye out on at the
1: moment. Well, that's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And lastly, what's what's a marketing skill that you're looking to improve in your own work over the next over the next couple of years?
0: Podcast interviews.
1: <laughs> no, it was good.
0: <laughs> I can't believe I'm even saying this, but public speaking, present uh, presenting. I'm uh, so I'm based in Wales and there is a very good startup scene here we're really lucky there's a number of accelerator programs but there is a definite lack in women members of the LGBT communities talking about marketing um, the people that do share um, their insights are hugely knowledgeable but there's a little part of me that thinks well actually if talks are a bit more representative by the people actually doing the jobs With marketing themselves, then who knows what insights you can you can glean from those? And I am an appalling public speaker. I will go bright red. I mess up my words. But I thought I I hate being that person that moans that there's a lack of representation and doesn't do something about it. So I've just signed up to a speaking boot camp that's going to last. I think it starts in September. It's six weeks. Um, with a view to start pitching myself to start getting involved in these because I think it's just everybody should be part of a community that builds up one another and champions one another because if you are kind of that sole marketer it can be a really lonely place sometimes you'll question your abilities so I think it's good to also have that community that you can be a part of as well.
1: You already do such a great job sharing your ideas and thoughts in written form on your yeah. website. So it's only natural that you can complement that with the speaking because it's it just kind of creates that whole yeah, that the sharing that, that's so necessary so we can hear from other practitioners and how they're working. So you yeah. can definitely check out Lucy's website, but she's got tons of awesome articles there at oblimey.com. Oh, dot com, which is probably one of the best best domains I've I've heard this week.
0: <laughs> that was uh, that was a drunken purchase. I was so happy. Both .com and .co.uk were available.
1: <laughs> awesome. And also connect with Lucy on LinkedIn and let her know that this is where you where you heard about her. Thank you so much, Lucy. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Stuart. Cheers.
1: If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stewarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm gonna share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.